Hello and welcome to Business Without My name's Dominic Frisby and Ori Clark is perhaps the only single-branded, multidiscipline professional practice in the UK. Translated, that means it is a legal and accountancy firm. And Andy Ori is partner and Andy made the observation that so many of the firm's clients are doing fantastically interesting things with loads of interesting stories to tell and he wanted to find a means to share these people and these stories and these activities with a wider audience. And the means to do that is this podcast. So Andy (laughs) Ori, hello Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Hello hello, And and who have we got on the show today and what are we going to talk about? We have the delightful Gabriella Patrick Hey, everybody. A, a leader really now uh, in the uh, crypto scene in London, the, the community, the, the, the strong and healthy and I think very, very great community that's growing. She um, She's on her third startup. And uh, <laughs> uh, Nabu is the name of um, it, it, it. It is a something that's obviously needed, which is a centralized and decentralized bank, which if that means very little to you at this stage, that's, that's fair enough. But really, you know, old school banking, um, which the cryptos like to call fear and uh, uh, or old school money and uh, new new school uh, decentralized concepts of money being able to be traded in one place. Um, uh, she's also a lawyer. Sorry, and uh, and uh, yeah, a, a wonderful person, no doubt. So yeah, welcome, Gabrielle. Thank you very much for having me. So my first question for you, Gabrielle, is is what is a decentralized and centralized bank? What does that mean? Um, it's very hard to achieve. So uh, basically, the uh, the basis is that there are centralized banks that exist today. That's not new. They've existed for hundreds of years. So give us an example of a centralized bank. Barclays, HSBC, the ultimate will be the actual central bank of any jurisdiction. And then you have in the last 10 years, the emergence of peer-to-peer technology and, and settlement. And so the idea is to combine or leverage that type of peer-to-peer um a transaction of value where you and I can transact value without a trusted intermediary and combine that with the benefits of a trusted intermediary. Okay. So is, I mean, do we have yet an example of a decentralized bank? I know we have decentralized money, but is there something- Is Coinbase in a way a decentralized bank? Well, Coinbase, I think, would argue that they are a quasi-bank because they're a trusted entity. But again, it, my answer would be no. It, it's just very difficult to achieve because once you have a legal incorporation anywhere in the planet, you by definition, you are centralized. Yeah, I mean, oh, you I can see. take out Coinbase. You can't take out Bitcoin, but you can take out Coinbase. Yes. So some people would say that Bitcoin is it has a, a decentralized bank. Oh, so Bitcoin itself. So Bitcoin is- itself is a decentralized bank because it acts as a store of value. You can transact it between you and me without that third-party intermediary. And so there are a lot of people who believe that the centralized bank model is just totally outdated and it, it, it's just sort of like a living zombie. It's a revolution that's, that's going on, born out of this 2008 crisis and and, and and the forces that be, which are either our own nature of, of not liking new things, you know, all new risks, problems, uh, but also the deeper, in, in, uh, you know, institutional and infrastructural nature that banks don't really want to fund their future destroyers, you know what I mean? And it, it, it is a hell of a complicated thing, but... We have to create an environment in which these things can flourish, and and then it's such a it is such a misconception. I think is the thing that I've really understood over time. This sensitivity to this new thing, because the whole point of it is to be more robust and be you know more 
less central, less, you know, less able to single points of failure. Is that fair comment? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair, but I think, you know, if you look from a macro level, uh, what is really happening now, it's really just a matter of technologies evolving faster than people can can catch up. So it's not mm. particular to money. It's just more fundamental. Catch up in even in press terms and even in... in so, I mean, look at the various examples. 10 years ago, there was no Skype, there was no Uber, there was no Google. It's, wow. it's not specific to money. It's just the Bitcoin and crypto piece has just exemplified these outdated systems where in some places like the United States, it's actually even more efficient to um, transfer cash in a truck. Okay, this this is how outdated the systems are. What, and to so, this day? That, 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 to this day. And this is something that the New York DFS, the financial services regulator in New York, has publicly uh, acknowledged. Like, wow. So, so the reason why, in my opinion, the, the Bitcoin conversation has been so controversial is here you have robust um, institutions that have operated for, for um, decades, if not centuries, that have operated a central banking system. And now you have an ability where you could basically transact your value without going through that um, centralized control. So clearly there's going to be some sort of controversy. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle where you could have that free flow of value, but at the same time, you do want to incorporate some level of control. One, one doesn't destroy the other then. And the, 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 the view of you know, hundred years time, would you expect both systems to continue to exist? Assuming no enormous world war that destroys us and all these I, things. I, I personally believe it it will exist, but not as we know it today. Just, just as you have traditional taxi cabs that operate in parallel with Uber, it's it's a different dynamic. Mm. I think the dynamic will be different. And and I personally feel I'm not a regulator, but I do think that the regulators, some regulators are considering a landscape where you will have banks that are custodian of digital currencies and, and, and they are exploring what that looks like in terms of whether that will bolster what may be a otherwise fragile retail banking sector. So will your bank be a custodian of bitcoins? Um, this is something to be determined, but clearly we're a blockchain technology company, so we're not scared of being uh, custodians, um, if, if that were um, sensible and um, appropriate. When you say you're a blockchain business, what you mean is we don't necessarily use blockchain, but we are a supplier to that industry. Is that what you mean? No, what I mean is that we, de we develop solutions. We have a solution now, which is very much a blockchain solution. So in the blockchain space, there's a problem where... A, large, a lot of large companies lose access to their digital funds because um, the keys, the private keys are stored maybe in one person's laptop or maybe a director dies or there's some sort of unfortunate incident. So we actually provide a solution now where we help companies to um, have strong uh, risk mitigation corporate governance solutions and we will act, for instance, as a backup key or we will act as a confirmation key where if there are two directors and one wants to verify that the other one is not under coercion, we will take instructions and ensure that through our verification protocol that that director is not acting under duress. Mm -hmm. So the real utility of our solution is called a smart deposit box. It's a non-custody solution where um, depending on the customer's um, preference, we will countersign transactions to their level of um, comfort. So if they 
they want us to countersign every single transaction, we can do that. If they want us to do nothing, but they um, are concerned again about them losing access to their keys, when one director loses access, we come with our backup key, help them configure new multi-signature wallets, and then they have access to the funds again. And do you have lots of clients already, or is it, are you not quite at that stage yet? We have customers. The problem that we have at this time is that we actually oversubscribed, and so we can't uh, keep up with the demand which I guess is a good problem to have. Um, in January, we should be ruling out uh, a next generation uh, configuration of our solution. So we're hoping that that will help us to uh, keep up with the demand. And w when you say you're a centralized bank as well, does that mean you, you store fiat money for people too? Well, we're not a bank as yet, but uh, oh. we're in the application process. But yes, it would mean that we're deposit-taking institutions. How, how onerous is that? The, the application process to become a bank? <laughs> well, it's quite hard to get a bank account. <laughs> well, um, it's, it's not easy, but at the same time, I mean, we are a year and a half in and our proposition specifically is a narrow bank, which means that we don't have a lending portfolio. Uh, we are a, th a pure throughput to payments. So because we don't have a lending uh, portfolio, we don't have what uh, people refer to as risk-weighted assets, which means that our risk is reduced, which means in theory, the application process should be easier. Mm -hmm. um, okay, I mean, one of the things that, you know, you, you're, you're in the process of raising money, you know, it, it's a huge effort for any company to raise money. I think anyone who's looking at raising money you want to do it now, always. Um, people are normally willing to wait three months, but the reality is, you know, it, it's a tough slog. You know, it, it, it's six months or so. I would also say to people, you you know, the, the level of time you're going to put in. But you have a third problem. You have a third problem that most of the people you're sitting down at a table with, they have no fucking idea what you're talking about. And as far as I can work out, you get an hour with them and 59 minutes is explaining how blockchain works. And the last minute's like, right, okay, I'm sort of mentally there. What was it you wanted again as opposed to going in and saying, oh, I've got this new wine company or this new chicken company. Oh, yeah, chickens. I eat chickens. I understand chicken. And you normally have these sort of VC meetings where they like to impress you with how much they understand. And actually, ironically, I feel with crypto is when you go, oh, well, you know, I understand cash. It's like, well, none of us really, you know, the whole thing of money is this bizarre illusion. So you've got this sort of two layers. One, I've got to explain a new concept of money. And then actually when it comes down to it, I've got to actually explain that money what money is because no one's everyone's just grown up with this myth as it were yeah. i mean how are you how are you finding that you just speak very quickly for the first 10 minutes and i hope they're fast thinkers or you know um it depends on who we're speaking to. So if we're talking to people who understand the blockchain and the crypto sector, they immediately get it, especially people who are in remittances or people who are in exotic jurisdictions. Because mm. our whole proposition, you know, if you extract the bank and the multi-signature solution we were talking about before, it's all about access. Okay, that, that's the real proposition being able to flow funds in places that are hard to reach or being able to access your funds. Geographically hard to reach? Geographically hard to reach. So, so for instance, the Caribbean where I'm from or Africa and Asia, in most places where you want to send funds, these funds arrive one or two days later. Mm. In some places, um, uh, up to 13% is, is charged. That's absolutely ridiculous in, a, in an environment in 2019, almost oh, 2020, digital. where you could send an email and get the, it gets there immediately. So why am I paying 13% for a hundred dollars to arrive in two to three it. days. Well, yeah. it well it's complex in the sense that 
you know, even though we talk about, you know, blockchain technology and this trustless environment, in real life, it all, always comes down to relationships. And so mm. if certain countries or jurisdictions don't have relationships with the other jurisdictions, their populations are just automatically penalized. That's, that's just how yeah. the global financial systems infrastructure works. And so our proposition, if, if you come out of the blockchain uh, piece- Which is a clear piece, contractual relationship, you're it, saying. It, 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 it's all about trying to provide that access. So the short answer is that if we talk to blockchain or crypto people, they immediately got it. We don't really need to explain t uh, it to them. If we talk to more traditional people, the people who are from those jurisdictions or have families from those jurisdictions, they understand the mm. problem. They understand that it takes two to three days to send funds. And it costs up to 13%. And yeah, so yeah, it's penalizing. And usually these areas are poor as well. It's exactly. penalizing the so poor. They, so these are the people who can't afford it. So what is needed is an institution, in my opinion, which is useful, in a tier one jurisdiction that is interested in servicing these jurisdictions. And because I'm part of the community, that's what I want to do. So most of the people on my team are people who are from so-called exotic jurisdictions or have that type of pain. And so this is where our proposition has come from. It's not just that we just sat down one day and we decided we wanted to be a bank. It is that we understand the pain on the one hand and on the other hand. Is that your drive? I didn't know that underneath it, the, the yes. you know, because the Caribbean is a classic place. If you want to get well, money in the Caribbean. Let's put it in context. My mother is coming to visit me in a week and she can't send me a hundred pounds of FX. Why? It's not because she doesn't have money and I'm not saying that she's a rich person, but it's because there's no available FX where we're from. So again, it, it, it's when you mean there's no that you mean she got Western Union. She, she will have to go through the central bank in order to get a hundred pounds. She has to specially make that request. Wow. Okay. Oh, so you're talking about you're talking about buying pounds. Yeah, and sending it to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Okay. Is it, yeah. And, and, and I, I do I do use Western because I do music and stuff in Jamaica. You have to send money and you're the Western and they ban you half the time, you know, because you're you're always sending it to the mum or someone and then they're like, oh, this we don't, you know, we were I, I had a day when I was trying to get someone some money. I, I had to drive all over London, go to all these different places, and it was just I just thought this is insane. And as you say, in 2019, it's 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 ridiculous, you know. So so the the um Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think even if you want to send money from one Caribbean island to another, sometimes the, this, you get in a situation where you have to uh, send it from the Caribbean to America, convert it into dollars. That's and correct. Then, and then convert it from Fucking dollars bullshit. back to the other currency. So there's three Forex And it's not, it's, not, it's not unique to the Caribbean. This is, this is the whole point of the proposition. It is that we as a team have experience in financial services and technology and understand that problem. And on the other hand, we understand blockchain technology. So mm. it's kind of remiss of us to just sort of sit back and do nothing mm. when we know that it's a technological way that you could facilitate that value. So that's really what the proposition is about. We should be hopeful in terms of there's a problem here, but the first time ever we may have a solution. For the first time ever, there may be a technology because of the historical issues, you know, even before digital, of, you know, countries that... Uh, uh, we had whatever. a solution before, gold and silver. Uh, it was international money and it was recognised around the world. It was only when money was started being controlled by nation states. 
You know, if you think of, you know, the pirate days or whatever, you know, good old the, days, the, the, really... the, you know, the Spanish doubloon or whatever, the Spanish uh, dollar or whatever it was, was, you know, which was basically an ounce of silver, was, you know, everyone understood the value of an ounce of silver Still all over the world. It still take quite a while to get an ounce of silver between London and uh, now we have... Well, unfortunately, you can't send silver over the internet. <laughs> but, but I mean, but, <laughs> you know, um, this, was, this was in the days when we were in a cash-based, you know, economy. You could go to India, you could go to anywhere, oh, and people would understand so them. the common thing. exchange was gold and silver, yeah. effectively. Okay. It was money everywhere. So you would, you know, the sovereign was the pound coin and, you know, people understood it. sovereign was a quarter of an ounce of gold and you could, you know, the the, the stamp on the head of the coin would be different. Ounce. You know, if you went to Holland, it would have the Dutch king or if you went somewhere else, it would have another king. But the the fact is that everyone around the world still understood the value of a quarter of an ounce of gold. And that was a pound or a dollar everywhere, was it, for a while? Well, no, the, the, doll, the pound once upon a time was a pound of sterling silver, hence pound sterling. And a pound, that's heavy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, uh, it was a lot heavier than it is now. But then um, uh, this is like... Then the, trouser pockets came It was actually Isaac Newton was the uh, um, uh, warden of the Bank of England. He put us on the gold standard. And in those days it was guineas, but then there was a, a re-coinage after the Napoleonic Wars and the gold sovereign, which is about the same size as a 2p and contained a quarter of an ounce of gold just under, and that was the pound coin. But you know why money kind of worked is because that physicality. There's something about, uh, I mean, that's very physical, but even yeah, when I mean, they, gold then, and silver they is... then slowly moved the gold and silver and gave us pieces of paper and all these sorts of sure. things. But there was still always this physicality to it, which is, it, it, it feels, even feels for me when I try and think about it, you know, if I can't think physically about something, it is hard to, so it's another example in the city is uh, when people do future bets and they do yeah. all these these fucking terms and you're like, well, what is it, you know, selling something, you know, shorting, so you're selling shares you don't have. You're like, but that's not physically possible. So there's something inherently difficult in that thing, you know, yeah. but the, the, but the big- 97, I mean, I, I hear you and most people think in those terms, um, but 97%, you alluded to this at first, only 3% of money actually exists as physic, in physical wow. form. 97% of money is, is digital. And not only is it digital, it's also debt mm. because that's how money gets created through debt. And so it's, and, and Bitcoin is, is not debt. It's 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 digital cash. And do you That's feel? Do you feel? I mean, despite the fact that you're head down, busting your ass, can I say that to a lady? Well, uh, building a startup. Do you feel though optimistic about the community in London that's coming through, or the community worldwide, and and the steps it's getting getting through? You know, the Bitcoin community, or generally, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bitcoin community in London is very strong. Um, as far as I know, it's the most open. Uh, community. So many people share ideas. There, there's no real agenda there. It's just really free-flowing. I mean, I've been to a couple of communities around the world. I think London is the most open in that respect. How many people would you say there are in the in the Bitcoin community in London? Hundreds? Thousands? Uh, Must be thousands. It, it, it's, it's, thousands? it's definitely more than I want to say 7,000 people for sure. Are they so based a, in any particular area? Is there is there a hot spot? Old Street. Um, <laughs> Everything. You mean geographically or yeah, by yeah, discipline? Um, Old Street is a hot spot. Uh, Old Street, Shoreditch area. I mean, that's where the first Bitcoin meetup kind of started. If we had a big Bitcoin success, if we had a big crypto success in this country, uh, an example of a business which is, I mean, Bitcoin. I mean, I have I have a couple of favorites. I mean, so um, indigenous London companies. I mean, there's an exchange called Coin Floor. 
Um, it was set up since 2013, I believe. Um, at times, they definitely rival uh, Coinbase. So I think that, you know, uh, um, uh, CoinFlow is, is, is a big successful one. Uh, blockchain, which is a, a wallet and they provide uh, analytical data. Uh, they set up in, in London. They're based in, um, uh, I think, Great Eastern Street. That's blockchain.com now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think they're from from up north originally. Well, blockchain.info, as far as I know, is, uh, at least one or two of the founders are American, but they they set up here and they plunk down here. Then there's a, a wallet called Elliptic. They also do mm. like sort of risk um, analysis. Um, they're based in Cambridge. So they are a couple Some of success sto- stories. Yeah. My yeah. Sister, there's I, a thing I, called Samurai Wallet, which is like the coolest privacy wallet. And um, that guy, the, the guy who started that's based in London as well. And one of the problems uh, you, I'm sure you've got some interest in this is, is the, um, because of um, the blockchain, everything's totally transparent. It's possible to trace the provenance of every Bitcoin and every fraction of every bit. Trace who actually manufactured it, I think. Well, trace where it was originally mined and where it's been ever since. And what what a number of the the companies, um, uh, particularly the heavily regulated companies are doing, particularly Coinbase in America, is they're saying, if you have Bitcoins in your account that have gone through, you know, the Silk Road or one of the Darknet sites, they're freezing your account. Wow. and, And, you know, so the the consequence of that is that Bitcoin is losing what's called fungibility. And fungibility means when like if it, when every pound is equal, mm. all money is equal. But if if one Bitcoin has a bad oh, one Bitcoin's better than one one or some some of, Bitcoins are better than, than others, and so they're not they're, all equal. Because so, they're, they're, they've been they because their provenance is they've gone through money laundering sites or, or, wow. or darknet websites and so on. And so this thing that's called so Bitcoin is losing its fungibility, and if Bitcoin is to succeed, it needs to be fungible. And so one of the things that this wallet, Samurai Wallet, is doing is that when you, um, when the Bitcoins pass through this wallet, it's doing something called mixing. And it means it's impossible to trace the provenance of the Bitcoin. Oh, wow. And that's a Londoner who's doing that. What do you, what do you sort of feel, what do you feel the big challenges are other than getting a bank account as a crypto business? I mean, that's, that's you know. Um, I think that the challenge is not really to get the license, really it's keeping the license in terms of the banking. Um mm. You know, that's not, uh, uh, that's an ongoing commitment and management of risks and different things. And especially uh, challenging if you do have a cutting edge um, model. Mm. So that's one challenge. Um, I think the other challenge, frankly, is competition. You know, you sort of pierce that glass ceiling and then everybody wants to follow. So mm. that's another challenge. And then I think the third challenge really, which is not uh, specific to us is, I think this is what we're really talking about today. It, you know, it's it's the challenge of change. You know, change is hard, and so when you do have vested interests who are profitable on a certain model, and then you start talking about a different model that they perceive as taking away from their coffers or mm. pot, I mean, that's not something that they you know, receive very lightly. So I think that's not a Nabu conversation. That's that's the wider discussion which cryptocurrencies has really struck at the heart of that that this this economy that is developing that is operating on its own that doesn't want to interact with the traditional fiat world and i think this is what is disturbing to a lot of people yeah 
I mean, the 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 the, the changing times are, are phenomenal. But you know, it, it, would you say to everybody buy buy Bitcoin? Would you say that everyone out there should be should be owners and should be investors? And you know, no, not at all. I mean, I it you know, if if you are a trader and you know how to trade, fine, trade. If you want to buy a little bit out of curiosity, great. I really come from the school of thought where things should be useful. So my mm. mom sh- again should be able to send value using crypto and not particularly know that crypto are the invisible reels. That's that's my perspective. Not know that crypto are the invisible. So, so in other words, the the businesses that we were talking about previously um, who have built upon blockchains or cryptocurrencies, some of them are, for example, payment cards where you could have cryptocurrencies and you could spend them at your local merchant or like the model we're developing, you can transmit value internationally, remit funds internationally, but there's a crypto piece in the middle that allows that value to be um, transmitted very cheaply. And so I really come from the school of thought that someone like my mom shouldn't touch crypto at all. She should just benefit from the the, the advantages yeah, of so it. It's a bit like this. We live in a world where we should fundamentally, it's the sort of everyone needs broadband, everyone needs water, everyone needs energy, and everyone else needs to be able to move, to trade. You've got to create these sort of fundamentals. And, and God knows what it's like if you're a startup in the Caribbean, you know, and you can, you, I don't even know if you get a good internet connection. You've got problems moving money. And then there's countries with capital controls, you know. Who's well, that's of, exactly right, right? So we all use the internet, but we don't really know how the internet works. No. That, that's, that's the perfect example. So this is what our company believes in, that you could actually benefit from that peer-to-peer network, but you don't really need to understand how it works. Because the internet's a peer-to-peer network. That's, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get lost. So (laughs) the unfortunate position is in order for us to move forward, people like you have got to get out there, bang the drum, explain this complexity, build these (coughs) complex machines, get get the original get the the old school infrastructure to shut up and get on board and help you now you know within that there's there's you know some people helping or not but that i like that as an eventual thing that your your mum is a great example i mean and now i understand it but that that is your passion that's where the drive comes from because i'd be furious you know if i couldn't send my mum and she couldn't send me my, we couldn't we couldn't exist well, we are it. furious because we're not the service we're neglected like i said the bitcoin piece just sort of magnifies that problem but if i were into a crypto to a company or a blockchain company, I'd have the same problem with banking. It's yes. not going to go away, right? No, I have the same FX problem. That's not going to go away. Um, I mean, it's a bra- it's a brave new world in many aspects, but you know, it it, it, I, it there always is a passion. There's always got to be a passion for you to take on something difficult and be fucking bullshit. I am going to. Well, not only that, I mean, it's not for everybody. I mean, I, I also use my mom again as an example. My mom likes to go to the bank. She likes to talk to Jean. Jean deals with her and she and she's not interested. She knows that she knows the people she's not interested in anything else. And some people are like that. It's it's you know, Bitcoin and cryptos don't solve everything. You know, people mm. say very crazy things like, Well, you know, we'll solve recycling using Bitcoin. No, you won't. Okay. Yes. Right? It's it's for a very specific thing. And in, in our context, it's for payments and transaction of value. There are other applications of um, blockchain technology, like smart contracts and automation of uh, activity, if you want to put it that way. But it doesn't solve all the things that people say that it's going to solve. And I think the dichotomy in the blockchain space, which a lot of people actually don't really talk about, is the fact that when you're asking whether you should get into Bitcoin, uh, no offense, but most, most people are motivated by greed. 
right? Because mm. they're seeing this thing and they want an upside. And why do they want the upside? Because if you're looking at the alternatives today, it's very hard to appreciate your value. The banks pay very little interest. So where are you really going to go? And most, most, I think, young people today, people under 40, can barely afford to, to own a house if, if they can afford to do that. Well, so people are sure. desperate for ways to maximize their value. So the, the dichotomy in the in the Bitcoin or the blockchain space is that that greed helps with the security of the network because the more activity that's happening there and the more trade that's happening there, the more that the network sort of gets reinforced. But But the difficulty with that is that that greed in itself does not create value, right? Because that greed doesn't particularly enable me to deploy my bank. Yeah, it doesn't. Okay. It doesn't particularly allow me to build something that serves society for, for public good. It doesn't particularly. Now, if I were a trader, which I'm, I'm not, it probably may make me rich. And I know a lot of Bitcoin people who are quite wealthy. But of those people, how many are actually contributing value? It's not all of them. It's maybe half. I know half of of very early um, Bitcoin adopters who are millionaires who are not phased by their wealth. They go to work. They work very hard. They work more than eight hours a day. And they sit on their Bitcoin or they traded them in when you say They trade it when they need to, mm. but they actually work really hard and they try to create some sort of value for society, some real value. And then there are others who are wealthy and they don't care. This is a sort of, I think this is at the core of something, which is this, this, this the thing that really bugs me, this anger towards wealth and I think you've hit something there it's there's something about people having a lot of money then they haven't really worked for it there's something about the sort of speculation well, well okay so this I'll take it one step further I believe and I think there's evidence for this that even if you work hard for it there are people who are jealous that's human yeah, nature yeah, right yeah, yeah. why should you have so much and I have so little it doesn't matter that you know I came from poverty and I made myself a self-billionaire and stuff yeah, like that yeah, yeah. And people don't care about that and so to me again this is what the Bitcoin conversation is exposing you know that disparity of wealth is that appropriate maybe it doesn't matter because that's just why life why is the Bitcoin conversation exposing that because again you have an alternative where people have been able to invest in Bitcoin and become Bitcoin millionaires. Yes. I think this is what you were saying before. Does that still exist because the time has gone on? But there are a number of people who have become exceptionally wealthy where they would not have become otherwise wealthy, in my opinion, had they not developed a Bitcoin business that scaled or came in very early, traded very early, saw an opportunity it's very it's early. luck almost. <clears throat> I mean, sort of one I don't think, step. I don't think it's all luck. A, a lot of it are people who had a vision thought this peer-to-peer network was exceptional. And at the time, a lot of them actually did not know that it would become valuable. Yeah, Some of them actually just conceptually believed in this peer-to-peer network that was electronic cash. It did not need a trusted intermediary. And they just bought into it. They didn't know. I mean, and you're talking about people who at the time it was like, what, five cents mm. for Bitcoin? They didn't know it was going to reach 20 grand in no, 2017 no. or anything like that. You know, so I'm, ju- I'm just saying, you know, I do feel a lot of people don't talk about this. At the end of the day, you're dealing with human beings. Some human beings are thoughtful 
and they will actively work and contribute to society as a selfless and a thankless job. And other people are just selfish well, and we, they don't we really all, care. We all feel jealousy <clears throat> and it's a powerful emotion and it motivates sometimes amazing actions by people. It's not always a negative, you know, that comes out of that jealousy. Your jealousy drives you to, you know, to, to raise your own game. But I think for you, what you're saying, which I agree with, and I, I mean, I hate to use the word love, but it's more like, you know, some characters have been, some people have been well loved and conditioned in a way that means that although they'll feel jealousy, it won't destroy or drive their behavior. In a, it's in very, a, it's very difficult to achieve when, for example, previously, maybe you were earning, I don't know, five grand a month. And all of a sudden you're sitting on like five million pounds or something like that. I mean, it, it's difficult. Yes. It's difficult. And so, you know, for me personally, I do think I could speak for most people on my team. We actually really not driven by the money. No, it's just a mission for us, and the upside is just a an added benefit. But again, you know, I probably shouldn't see it publicly, but I'll see it anyway. You know, <laughs> power corrupts. Yes, and money corrupts. And yes. so when you are dealing fundamentally with the concept of of money it's very difficult to not be seduced by it yes, yes. and seduced by everything that comes with no, it no no i remember my first job in in a hedge fund and um you you become when you're in an environment with people who are earning a lot of money at a very young age. I wasn't actually, but I I, I suddenly I was supposed to go join the founder business. And I was suddenly like, well, hang on, I'll just. And I remember I suddenly thought I wanted a Ferrari. Like I thought to myself, well, in a few years' time, I could afford a Ferrari. Wouldn't it be nice to have a Ferrari when I was 25 years old? And I thought I don't give a shit about cars. I don't. Like what? Why am I? Why am I having these thoughts? And that's the corruption. That that the the being around people. I always think one of the main reasons I've clicked to let leave was that was a guy who just received a ten million pound bonus. This is sort of two thousand when the all, and he was in the office and he was depressed because he didn't know what to do with his life. Now he'd received a ten million pound bonus. Do I go back to work? Do I start a business? I remember thinking, boo, fucking who? Like see, and that that in itself, you're just like. Wow, does money bring happiness or it brings brings some sort of confusion in the process, as it were? So I, th- I think it definitely makes it easier. But, you know, we were having a conversation before about, you know, our community. And this is why we actually put out those community events. That's exactly the reason why. Mm. Because in some shape or form, I don't care what sector you are in, I do think it's intrinsically useful to remain grounded. Mm. It doesn't matter what your so-called success is or what the upside is or how much fundraising you 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 you, you achieve. If you don't have some sort of grounding, you're going to go astray. Um, I mean, I, I really feel your passion. I really feel the determination that you have. And I think that's when I say people need bulls. It's like, uh, you know, people are, I don't think people realize how much people sacrifice building businesses um, and how we should we should be so praising them, you know, taking on these enormously difficult problems against the odds. And, you know, and, and I don't mean to demean it, but you're not the only person I know who works. The, the, you know, if you want to, you know, it's a it's a breed of person. I don't like the word entrepreneur, but it is a breed of person. And it, 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 the determination you're going to need to get. It. So there's this sort of misconception which annoys me sometimes when people are like, oh, well, the boss is doing so well or, you know, businesses are bad things. And it's like most businesses I deal with, the boss half the time earns less than his staff, certainly works longer hours and not, is sacrificing. Not, not only that, I mean, I, I, I you know, I sort of, tease my team members and say, do you want to be CEO? Because I will gladly give it to you. Because yeah. <laughs> it's, con- it's, it's constantly problem problem solving. Yes. 
I'm at late at times, I admit it, but you're not supposed to be late. You're always supposed to be the last one out. You're always the person who's ultimately responsible. Yeah. You can't blame anybody else. No, you can't blame anyone else. <laughs> as much as you would like to. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> the buck stops with you. You know, so it's a lot of responsibility. You don't want to let people down. You always want to be transparent. If you have investors, you know, you, you what, have what, to... I, what, I mean, what... You know, we all have to do that. People meditate. People, how, what keeps you strong internally? You know, what is it? You know, your mum's story is obviously important to you. But is there is there anything you 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 know? Do, is there someone uh, the mentors? Is it important to have that mental group? I, I, th I think for me, you know, we all shaped by our personality. I've just come from a background of service, and I I truly believe that you should try to leave the planet a better place. And if you don't try, you've failed. So this is what sort of keeps me yeah, yeah, motivated. You know, everybody has their different motivations. Well, I, I rewatched still, my wife was making <clears throat> me rewatch The Pursuit of Happiness, which I think is dated terribly as a film, given his is to go into a bank or something. Or something a little bit. Anyway, but this pursuit of happiness is a statement. I, 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 it's such a mistake to pursue happiness in its principal form. You know, you should, I think, I, I'm so with you. It's like, look, even if it's 0.00001%, try and make something about the universe that you saw a better place in your personal environment. I really believe that. I think that, you, I think, you know, we should think in terms of future generations. Again, it's a, it's a larger conversation than banking, you know, this conversation about the planet and us preserving the planet and climate change and mm. all this other stuff. I think that you, you can't just sort of sit by, especially if you have a certain specialist knowledge and not do anything about it. Mm. You, you're not allowed to complain if you're not going to do something about it. Yes. And as much as I'm not happy with the political climate, I particularly don't appreciate people who criticize the government but don't vote. Yes. Even if you feel that there's no option, you can't criticize if you didn't vote. Yes. So it's the same thing with us with the banking and the payments piece. It is that we just happened to understand how money works and how technology works. So we just felt naturally we should do something about it. And this is the proposition. Has the legal background helped you a lot? Would you would you would you think that's a good a good skill for to go into the sort of this? It, it, it's it's good and bad because uh, clearly I you know I've advised a lot of people and made a lot of people successful, so I use that to our advantage now. But then, in terms of your uh, in terms of facts. our proposition, but but the disadvantage is that you know once you have a legal background, you tend to be conservative, yes. and so there are many things that an entrepreneur would do what you would not do once you have the legal baggage. Well, that was, that's partly why I asked, because I think, you know, in some ways in my mind, you know, entrepreneur it, it, it is the ultimate form of risk-taking and the legal training is the ultimate form of risk avoidance. Well, overall, it's an advantage, but there are things that I've, that I have not done that honestly, I wish I did because it, I'm just prudent. And so... I wouldn't do it if if I if I, I, I weren't aware. I think within the subject of a bank, I think that mm -hmm. uh, the regular. I think there's something that people. I think overall, it would. It's a it's a positive thing to someone say. Oh, I fair, think, fair I th enough. I think overall, but again, you know, it's all relative because, in as much as I'm think I'm saying I'm prudent, our in-house counsel does not think I'm prudent. Oh, right? really? It's it's all relative. Yes. It's all it's all relative because once you are in that driver's no, but that's seat, good. Hang on, your in-house counsel should think that you're the CEO. <laughs> they should be like, oh fucking hell, what's she done now? Get get her in here, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not naughty, but I definitely, you know, sometimes you just have to take action. You can't wait. You do. I mean, we had a conversation today, myself and our in-house counsel, and I was saying to him, look, we have three more weeks till the end of the year. 
can't just sit by and hope that people are going to sign agreements. Yes. Okay. You need to push it. Yes. Yes. There's <laughs> that, no, there that, is that, no that means picking up the phone. Yes. Yes. Right. And calling people, <laughs> not yeah. just waiting for them to review a, a, a 10 page document. So in, the, in that way, you know, they consider me a little bit of a, a cowgirl, but I mean, this is how no, 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 business reality is. Because at, the, because at the end of the day, when those agreements are not signed, guess who's not getting paid? Yeah, the yeah, staff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Gabrielle, it's, it's been an absolute delight to speak Thank to you. Thank you very much you for having me. You are a source of immense knowledge uh, and intelligence and I, I, I feel good that you're out there trying to do things you can find uh, Gabrielle at Nubu which is spelled K-N-A-B-U is it dot com dot me dot me dot M-E dot M-E so K-N-A-B-U dot M-E and is that's the best way to find you Any, anything else you would like to let people know about well anybody who's interested who wants to know more wants to partner with us or interested in our fundraising uh, they could get us at info I-N-F-O at nabu dot me info say that one button at nabu K-N-A-B-U okay. dot me yeah fantastic yeah. Um, well thank you very much uh, take care And make sure you subscribe to the show so you catch the next episode of Business Without Until then, from Andy Urie and me, Dominic Frisbee, it's cheerio. Cheerio.